Amen and amen. I am so excited to be before you this morning. Well, I'm excited and scared, just to be real honest. I had a dream um, right after Scott had called me and said, we want you to share on Sunday. And I had a dream that right as soon as I got up to speak, everybody left but two people. And so thank you so far. That has not happened. And so that's making me feel a little bit better. Adam, when I was telling him that story, he said, well, were the two people your mom and dad? And I was like, no, actually they were undescript people that just happened to stay. So I really hurt my feelings that my parents didn't stay as well. But anyway, all that to say, um, this morning we're going to be talking about obedience through prayer, not because obedience is something I think is easy and not because I think it's something that's fun or fair, but because it's something that scripture says we need to be about. We need to be about obedience and we need to be about prayer. And you need to know this about me. Scripture has changed my life forever. It has dramatically and radically ruined me, if you will, that I believe what this old book says, not because I just think it's something interesting or because it gives me knowledge, but because it has changed me and it has moved me and it was, it's propelled me to be closer to who I'm designed to be. And further away than what my flesh and my human nature asked me to be. And so I believe very firmly everything that I'm going to share with you today. Last week, Scott mentioned game film, watching game film. And I want you to know that thought just kind of played in my brain all week long. So if you know me, you know that I am not athletic at all. So why does game film, I've never watched game film in my life. So why did that thought impact me? Well, my oldest son played football and I remember him leaving every Saturday morning during football season and he would go in and watch film. And so I called him this week because he's clearly in our family an expert in that. It's not hard to be an expert in our family with football. But so I called Ryland and I said, tell me about watching film. Tell me about what that looked like. And he said, well, mom, we didn't just watch it on Saturday. I mean, we would go in on Thursday and they would break it down into specialties and I would watch it with the O-line and we would analyze and examine it and be convicted by it and challenged by it and moved by it and shaped by it. And he said, it would challenge us and we would be changed and we would prepare for the next time that we face that opponent. And I thought, wow, if there is ever a descriptor about God's word, That is the game film that the Lord has graciously provided for us. That he has allowed the narrative of some interactions between humans. And he says, I've recorded it for you. For you to look at and analyze and be challenged by and convicted by. And everything in it, I want to tell you something. So how about we get in it? And how about we look at it? So um, last week we did talk about Ephesians 6. We talked about the battle not being flesh and blood, but the battle being spiritual and the enemy being real. But God, in his great mercy, has given us tools to use in this battle. Some of the tools are the armor of God that God has given us. We need to put it on. We need to get it out every day and put it on. The other tools he's given us, his word is the sword of the spirit, and he's given it to us. So let's learn how to use it. And the last thing it says in Ephesians is it says, and pray, and pray. Prayer is a massive weapon in the spiritual. And I just wonder, is that how we see prayer? I wonder if that's the the connotation that we think of when we pray. Um, 
Scott also said this interesting point last week that I've thought about all week long is the enemy wants to erode our trust in Jesus. And I think that's true about our prayer too. That the enemy wants to erode our trust in prayer. So what about our prayer life? Scripture says in James that prayer is powerful and effective. And I don't know about you, but sometimes are we discouraged because our prayers sometimes don't get answered the way we like and our circumstances don't change. And so we think, well, my prayer's not powerful and effective. Maybe other people's are powerful and effective, but mine don't seem to have that on the earth. And so today we're going to look at truth in that because the enemy has told us all kinds of lies. And I just wonder what lies has the enemy told you about prayer? Just a few lies that the enemy has told me personally is when you pray and God doesn't answer it the way that you want him to, then I think this, God's not listening, God's mean, I'm not doing it right, God doesn't love me, or I'm just talking to the ceiling and it doesn't matter anyway. And if that is our baseline, if that is what we think scripture is, is it's purely related to how God answers, how we want him to answer, or change the circumstances the way that we want him to, if that's our only baseline, then think of the enemy has all kinds of abilities to make us believe that our prayers are weak and they're worthless. How much power have we given the enemy to speak into our life? So I want you just to think for a minute, what lies has the enemy told you? about your prayers, and then we're going to unpack those things together. So think. C.S. Lewis says, prayer doesn't change God, prayer changes me. And that's true. Today, we are going to silence the enemy with truth found in Scripture. We're going to dig in to what Scripture says. And I want you to know Scripture says so much about prayer. It would take us weeks and months to really unpack prayer if we were just looking at the entirety of Scripture. So today, I'm just going to look at two short stories and how they parallel and how they show some very specific things about prayer. So the four things that we're going to look at today with the passages that we're going to look at is prayer ushers into our life obedience Prayer ushers into our life obedience, aligning with the truth of God. Prayer ushers in also strength, that as we sit before him, as we bring our life before him, he ushers in strength to live out the life that he's given us. The other thing that prayer is going to usher in is salvation and freedom. Salvation. For a world that is in desperate need of a savior and freedom that Jesus came to set the captives free. And so we're going to look at those truths today and we are going to silence what the enemy says that, that it distracts from that. And so we're going to look first at the story of Jesus in the garden And before we get there, I want to just tell you a little bit of background about the story, because we're not going to unpack every single line by line. But the background is Jesus is with the disciples, 
He's getting very close to the cross. The cross is coming, and he knows that. Because he's the son of God, he gets inside information. I'm a little bit glad that God doesn't give me inside information about what's coming down the pike, you know, of the hard stuff. Maybe the good stuff I'd be really okay with. But the hard stuff, thank you for not telling me, Jesus. But Jesus knows that the cross is coming, and so we watch him in Scripture thinking and preparing, and he is knowing he's leaving the earth, and he's very intentional about it. He is very intentional, so he gathers the disciples for the Last Supper. And so that's what we watch, is we watch the Last Supper, and we watch him talk to the disciples, and he keeps trying to tell them things about that's coming. He keeps trying to whisper to them truths, and and they're not totally tracking with him, but he's doing a good job about ushering in some truths over their life. We watch him leave the garden, or we watch him leave the Last Supper with all the disciples. And one thing in scripture, if you go back and read this on your own, is they leave the place singing a hymn. And that's going to be super important to us in, in all of our talk, in all of our um, looking at scripture today, is they're singing a hymn. They're exiting this big meal and they're singing. And the other thing that Jesus brings up that I think is really interesting is he tells the disciples, all of you will fall away. All of you will fall away. And Peter says, oh, actually, no, I won't. I will never deny you, Lord. I will follow you to the ends of the earth. And we actually know, because of Scripture, we know that Peter does go on, and he does deny him. But I want you also to know something interesting in Scripture when I was looking at it, or again with a fine-tooth comb. It actually says that all the disciples said the same thing. All the disciples said, we will never fall away. We will be with you. We are all in, Jesus. Whatever you experience, we're all in with you. That was their posture. That's what they knew as they were leaving the Last Supper. And they were in with Jesus. And so we're going to pick up in the story, and you're going to find it in Mark 14 in your Bible. It's also going to be up on the screen um, if you want to look at it there. So they've shared this meal. They're walking. They're en route to the garden. And it says in verse 32, they go to a place called Gethsemane. And this place is a familiar place. Jesus has been there many times with the disciple. This is not his first moment that he is going in um, to the garden. And so the disciples are kind of like, well, we got this. We've done this with Jesus before. Okay, this looks familiar. But the story then changes and it starts looking very unfamiliar. And Jesus says to his disciples, go ahead and sit here while I pray. And then verse 33, he took Peter and James and John along with him. So he takes his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, um, some of his closest disciples, ones that he really had invested a lot in, and he says, you come further in with me. So he takes them further into the garden, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. So Peter, James, and John get to see this. They get to see the Son of God deeply distressed and troubled. Now, I don't know about you, but I am so grateful that, A, Jesus invited those disciples in and and humbled himself. He's the Son of God. And he goes, I'm not above looking deeply distressed and troubled. And that's a challenge to us. You know, what if there's something going on in our life that we just need to invite people into that? Jesus invited in not everybody, but a close group of friends to say, walk with me in this. And then not only that, not only were they watching that, but then he says to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he says, sit here and keep watch. Now, I don't know about you, but for the disciples, 
they have never seen Jesus like this. Never. They've walked with him. They've done ministry with him. They've watched him walk on water. They've watched him heal people. They've watched him raise people from the dead. And he has been in conflict with the religious leaders, and they have never seen him respond this way. So I'm thinking, I bet they were a little surprised. Like, I don't know what to do when Jesus acts like this. A little scared, maybe. Like, uh, what's going on? It's kind of like in my brain, I was thinking when the captain of the Titanic was like, uh, guys, it's really bad. It's, it's really, really bad. Like, we're not going to get out of this one. It's really, really bad. That's what Jesus is basically like. Um, guys, it's, this is a really, it's going to be a hard moment. There was nothing easy about this moment. And we lie to ourselves if we go, well, he's Jesus, so he, could, he was just going to do it. No, he's showing us in scripture, in the game film. It was hard. It was a wrestle. And so he says, stay here and keep watch. And he goes a little bit further, but actually it says in, in, in commentaries that he doesn't go that far that Peter, James, and John can't see him. So he goes a little bit further, and he falls to the ground, and he prays that if possible, this hour might pass from him. This scene with Jesus looks real familiar to me. I've been in this moment. I've been in this hard place where I fell to the ground and I said, you know what, Lord, if there's any way, get me out of this. I bet you have too. I've sat in ICU rooms and thought, no, no, get me out. Change the story right now. I've sat with a friend in divorce court and thought, how did we get here? Somebody stop this story and change it. I've sat paying bills without a job thinking, you know, I'm, I don't know how this is going to work out, right? I mean, I wasn't going to the cross, but I was wrestling my own stuff out with the Father. And this looks familiar to me, and it resonates with me in a deep place that goes, me too. And so the Lord of the universe says in verse 36, Abba, Father. It's an intimate word for the Father. Some say it's even likened to him calling out Daddy, It's very unashamed. It's very personal. It's very much saying, Father, I know you, and you know me. So come in this moment. And through Jesus, we get that relationship with the Father too. Through Jesus, we get to say to him, Dad, come quick. Fix it. Change it. Right? I mean, haven't we all said that sometimes? So Jesus says, Father, everything is possible for you. Truth. Everything is possible with the Father. Take this cup from me. The wrestle is hard. It was not an easy moment for Jesus. And then Jesus says this, yet not why will, but what you will. It's this posture before the Lord that we need to learn from. It's hard. It's a wrestle. But God, I don't understand, but I want you to do what you need to do over my life. It is the wrestle and the pursuit of going, I don't understand, and I feel like this is unfair. We can be honest with the Lord, right? We can say, I think this is not how I would like to write it. I tell the Lord that pretty often. I just would not write it this way. And you know what the Lord says over my life? Well, it's going to be how I'm going to write it. And you're going to need to learn to get in line with me. 
You're going to need to align your obedience and your trust with what I say over your life. And that's not easy, but it's what the Father has said. And so Jesus says all these things. He's wrestling these things out. And then verse 37, he returns to the disciples, and he finds them not wrestling, not pondering, not watching and praying. He finds them sleeping. And he says, Simon, are you asleep Could you not keep watch for an hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. So this is the second time that Jesus has said, watch and pray. He's kind of exasperated that they're sleeping. They clearly aren't nearly as distraught as he is, right? I think part of the reason was they were kind of like, you're Jesus. It's going to be okay. And Jesus knows it's going to be okay. It's going to be hard. I think that one of the reasons why he says watch is he says, hey, the betrayer is coming. I know I'm going to get arrested when we leave the garden tonight. My betrayer is coming, and I know that, so watch for him. But I think also the other thing that he's saying in watch is watch me process this. Watch me wrestle this out with God. Watch me be transformed and changed into what I'm supposed to do and align with God on this thing. And so he says, watch and pray. He, I think he says, pray. He's saying, pray for me because I'm wrestling this thing out. I'm wrestling out salvation of the whole world right now. He also says, pray for yourself because he knows. Remember what he says right before they enter the garden. All will fall away. You say you're all in, but it's going to get hard. And what do we know through scripture? They did. So don't you think it would have been really amazing if they would have just decided, like, I better pray about that. I better pray. Like, oh, if Jesus says it's coming, it's probably coming. I want to pray that I'm strengthened in this. And so he says, watch and pray. And so verse 39, once more he goes away. He prays the same thing. He wrestles the same thing out. I think one of the reasons why he he shows us in scripture that he was doing this repetitively is... It's not a one-time easy fix. Have you prayed things and you felt better for a second and then maybe an hour later you thought, well, I don't feel good anymore. Keep praying. It's not a magic wand over your life. Keep after it. Pray. Jesus prayed multiple times. Actually, it says that it was probably about three hours worth of time that he hung out in the garden that night wrestling out and looking for strength and obedience. And so, um, it says, verse 40, when he came back again, he he finds them asleep again because their eyes are heavy, and they didn't even know what to say to him. And I bet you, he didn't even know what to say to them. You know, like, they were like, oh man, we fell asleep again. And I bet, you know, Jesus, son of God, was just like, I'm done. I'm going back and praying because really my wrath is pretty bad right now. I mean, don't you think? I think he's, you know, probably a little fired up at this point. Maybe not. That's just my, my commentary on it. Okay, so he goes, verse 41, returning the third time, he says to them, so he goes away again, he comes back, returning the third time, he says to them, are you still sleeping and resting? They never did. They never did get up and watch and pray. They didn't have it in them. Even when he went back to ask them, even when he said, hey guys, I'm not kidding, please watch and pray. But then he says, enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of the sinner. Rise, let us go. Here comes our betrayer. The disciples have missed the entire transformation of Jesus in the garden. 
they missed him wrestling out in the spiritual what he was going to do on the physical. Because what happens is, right at that moment, the betrayer comes with all the people to arrest him. He goes right from that moment to being arrested and goes right into his trial and to the cross. He never wrestles after that. He doesn't wrestle at the cross. He doesn't wrestle as he's being arrested. In fact, remember, if you know the story very well, Peter goes like, nope, this isn't going to happen right now. And he cuts off the, the um, servant's ear. Jesus is like, nope, that's, that, that is not how we're doing this thing. Because I've wrestled in the spiritual, and now I am obedient in the physical. He wrestled in the spiritual so that his obedience to the cross would not be a wrestle. He was fortified. He was resolved when he left that garden. The betrayer's here. Rise up. Let's do it. Let's do it. You just see his face like flint and like we are doing this thing. I wrestled it. I asked God, can we do it another way? And God said, no way. This has been the plan from the very beginning. This is how it's going down. And Jesus goes, yes, sir. I'm with you. I want whatever you want over my life. How much different would our lives look? I have things in my life that the Father has flat said no to. I've asked him, I've brought it before him, I've wrestled it out, and the Lord goes, that's actually not my plan over your life. It's going to look like this. And I say, that path's too hard. That path's not easy. And he goes, I know. I'm going to strengthen you. Walk in obedience. And I'm here to tell you, it's a wrestle. But when I align with the God of the universe, it's possible. Because everything is possible with him. And so Jesus ushers in, in this time of prayer, his obedience, his strength. But also because of the cross, he ushers in salvation for us. And he ushers in freedom from, for us. He sets the captives free for us to live a life of victory. So maybe you're saying, well, okay, well, Jesus, right? I mean, he can do that. He can pray that way because he's Jesus, son of of God. And so I don't fit in that category. And so I can't do that. So I want to look at another passage in scripture and I want to compare it and watch how they also prayed and they had obedience and strength and brought salvation and freedom. And it is found, um, if you want to start turning there, it's found in Acts 16. So let me give you a little bit of background about that before we jump into what the scripture says. It's about Paul and Silas. It's one of my favorite stories. Paul and Silas um, have, they they, um, are alive right after, they're alive during Jesus' time. They... um, They are now part of the early church, and they're going around. They're missionaries, and they go around, and they tell people the good news of Jesus. And so, you know, after Jesus has died, he's been buried, he's risen from the grave, and he's gone and ascended into heaven. And so then he leaves people, right, to carry on the mission. So some of the early people that he left were Paul and Silas, and they would go from town to town, and they would tell people the good news of Jesus. Now, if the people believed in Jesus, it brought joy, and it brought hope, and it just brought amazing good things. But when the people did not agree, it brought crazy conflict. And so we watch them all through Scripture. I mean, crazy conflict. So you either loved the good news of Jesus or you hated the good news of Jesus. 
I mean, it kind of looks maybe similar to today. You either love the good news of Jesus or it really rubs you the wrong way. And so it brought Paul and Silas into a lot of times of conflict, a lot. This will not be, this particular moment in scripture is not the only moment that we see Paul and Silas kind of in a a crummy crisis. So this one in particular, they are, um, they find themselves in prison. They find themselves in prison in the inner chamber with their feet in stocks, all because they didn't commit a crime other than just talking about Jesus. So can you imagine they're in this inner chamber, which actually is known to be for the hardened criminals. It was so that they very much would not escape. It was the place, an inner dark, dark place. And not only that, but their feet are bound so they're not going to escape. So, I mean, seriously, that seems a bit overkill on discipline, just a bit overkill for some guys that were walking around talking about the good news of Jesus. But no matter what, that's where they find themselves. And so we're going to pick up in um, Acts 16, and we're going to just start in um, verse 25. And again, it will be up here on the screen. It says about midnight, so in, again, in night, just like Jesus is in the garden at night. Sometimes our, our biggest wrestles happen at night, right? Sometimes through the night, I just beg the Lord, can you just bring the sunlight? I am really tired of wrestling this thing out in the dark of the night. And so Paul and Silas find themselves at midnight. And look at what they're doing. It says, Paul and Silas are praying and they're singing to hymns to God and the other prisoners are listening. Now, I'm going to be really honest with you. If I had found myself in this circumstance, this is what I would be doing. Complaining that I hadn't done anything wrong. I would be whining, and I would be saying, I, I think this is unfair, and I just want to go home. I'm just going to be, I, I would not, I don't know that my first posture would have been, well, let's just sing a couple of nice praise songs to Jesus. I don't think I'd be like, and I'm just going to pray out loud so all these people will hear my distress and my, my heinous attitude. I mean, I have a horrible attitude with God the Father sometimes. I just want to be super honest with you. I mean, I say ugly and hard things sometimes and go like, what is this? Garbage. But then it allows them to kind of speak into me and go like, well, let me tell you what this garbage is. Knock it off. But Paul and Silas don't respond that way. They are singing hymns to God and they are praying. And what's happening? All the other prisoners are listening. When we go through hardship, people are watching. People are wondering. And what are we saying to them? How are we declaring our life? We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be polished. They can see our messy. They can see our hard. And they can see our God. They can see our Savior. When we invite them in, and that's exactly what Paul and Silas did, they invite in the other prisoners to be listening to them. So they're doing something in the spiritual. They're not trying to break out. They're not, you know, they're not saying, get me an attorney, get me somebody to listen because this is injustice and I am out of here. What they're doing, they're battling in the spiritual. And what happens next is the spiritual battle and what they're doing in the spiritual, t- something happens physical. And, and what we see in verse um, 26, suddenly there's such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison was shaken. At once the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came off. If you feel like prayer is kind of the wimpy thing to do, I think you need to look again at this story. Prayer is the powerful thing in the spiritual realm for the God of the universe to do the the physical thing. We're going to do an injustice to God if we do the physical thing. 
If he hasn't authored a physical thing in us, if he said, you just need to come before me and do a spiritual battle and let me handle the physical, could Paul and Silas have created an earthquake? No way. Could Paul and Silas have broken loose everybody's chains? No way. What could Paul and Silas do? They could battle in the spiritual and let God deal with the physical. And so we watched them. Everybody's chains came loose. Clearly, the earthquake had woken up the jailer. And it says in verse 27, the jailer woke up. And when he saw that the prison doors are open, he drew his sword. And he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now, what was customary in this time was the person in charge of keeping the prisoners in the prison, if he didn't do it, he died. I don't think they have that system anymore. I don't think they have that in America. But then, in that season, if the prisoners escaped, you were in charge, your life. So the jailer knows this. He knows the violent earthquake has happened. He knows, um, I think probably they all escaped. So he thinks to himself, well, I'm not waiting around for somebody to kill me. I'm just going to take care of it myself. I'm not going to be tortured. I'm just going to take care of it myself. So he starts to kill himself. And in verse 28, it says, but Paul shouted out, don't harm yourself. We're all here. What? Why are you still all here? Your chains were loose. The prison was opened. If I was there from injustice and and thought that maybe my life was going to be a little tricky if I stayed there, I'm going to say I just would have excused myself to walk on out. I just would have. Right? Self-preservation? Like, peace out. I feel like the Lord said, I can go. Clearly, the Spirit of the Lord told Paul something different. Because the only reason Paul would have stayed is because the Spirit of the Lord said, stay. Obedience. Obedience. And Paul cries out, hey, don't go. We're actually all here. I mean, don't you think that's pretty amazing that none of the prisoners left? I think it's kind of shocking. Clearly, a work of the Lord. So in verse um, 30. One, they replied, oh, no, wait, go back. Um, Okay, verse 29. So the jailer says, calls for lights, and he rushes in, and he falls trembling before Paul and Silas, and he says, um, he brings them out, and he says, sir, what must I do to be saved? And they reply, just believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved you and your whole household. And then they spoke of the word of Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and he washed their wounds. And then he immediately, he and his family were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his home and he set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Do you see that when Paul's obedience, when he talked to the father when he was praying and saying, what do you want me to do? Here I find myself in prison. Obedience and strength for the next few moments. And then what happens? The jailer and his entire household is saved and the prisoners are set free. Do you see that Paul doing something in the spiritual not only saved the jailer from physical life because he was going to take his life if Paul would have run? But it also saved his spiritual life, his obedience, and his strength to live out exactly what God had in exactly that right moment brought, ushered in salvation to the jailer 
and to his family, and it set the captives free. So maybe today you're thinking, well, that's super. It's easy to see Jesus do that, and it's easy to see people in Scripture do that, that because sometimes what we think about people in Scripture is that they're not real, or they're somehow holier than we are, or they're somehow supernatural. And I want to tell you they're just people. Jesus, divine, son of God. Paul and Silas, just like me. Just like me. And just like you. And we can do this thing too. We can pray powerful and effective prayers as we align with the truth of God. In 2017, the world is in desperate need of a Savior. It is hopeless and it is dark. And I don't know about you, but if I think about the world for a second, if I think about our nation for a second, if I think about our church or my family, it gets real discouraging. It gets real hopeless real fast. We need to fight with prayer. And we need to wrestle this thing out and usher in strength and obedience to a very broken and hurting world. And our lives, everybody's watching. When we endure our lives, when we're going through hard things, when we're going through amazing things, people are watching and going, what makes them tick? What makes their life work? I will tell you across the board, if Jesus was not part of my life, my life would not work. I would be a little heaping mess right here on the floor of crying, agony, anxious, worried mess. But Jesus is real to me. And the power of prayer is real to me. This word is real to me. But I'm human. And I want to tell you, last Monday when it was dreary and rainy, I had gotten my mom to put my daughter on the bus because I had a work appointment and I needed to get there before um, it, just the timing worked out. So I coordinated all this and I got on the road. I thought, okay, it's, it's a horrible day, gross and grimy and rainy. And I, my friend Amy had borrowed my car because she needed my van and so I have her new car. So it's bad weather and I'm in a new, new car that is not mine. That is not a great moment because I'm not a great di- driver on my best day. So I leave for this work appointment with plenty of time, and I find myself in a horrible traffic jam. I'm just sitting on 435 thinking, this is awesome, because I got a babysitter for this. I mean, I could have left after Meyer got on the bus and been in the exact same place at the moment that I was. And I'm sitting there, and I want to tell you, in the humanness, I'm super frustrated with the Lord. I'm super mad. And I'm whining, and I'm complaining, and I'm calling people, and I'm saying, I'm not going to get there. And actually found out that they're all stuck in the same traffic jam that I'm stuck in. So we're not all going to get there. So it's just pretty much a rainy, crummy day for all of us. And I look at my GPS, and it says I have an hour left to sit there. I mean, I've already been on the road for probably 45 minutes. And so I look at my GPS and think, well, this is fantastic. I am hacked off, and I'm just having a pity party before the Lord. I am in a rant and a rave before the Lord. And all of a sudden, I'm not driving my own car, but the song comes on the radio, and it captures my attention. And I'm like, I don't know that song. I wonder what that song is. And so because I'm sitting still in traffic, I ask my phone, Siri, what's this phone? And I hold it up to the, to the radio. It is creepy that our phones can do this. 
I just want to say technology is just kind of creepy. But I hold my phone up to the speaker and it tells me the song. And I'm like, fantastic. And I'm like, repeat play, Spotify. So it repeat plays. I was at a standstill, so I was not on my phone while I was driving. And the words to this song, I'm like, Lord, that is that is exactly what I've been trying to hear from you this week about teaching on Sunday. Exactly. I didn't know the song. wasn't familiar with it at all. And the Lord just started like pouring into me and going like, I am with you in the middle of this stupid, gross, rainy, dark morning that nothing's working out. And do you know what else cool thing happened? My friend Kendra texted me at that same moment and, you know, when you're listening to Spotify on your phone, it, the text stops it for a second. And so, again, I'm stopped in traffic. So I read the text, and it says, Allie, I'm praying for you right now for your teaching time on Sunday. And I'm praying that the enemy will be thwarted from distraction and that you will hear the Spirit of the Lord. And right there, in the middle of 435, on a rainy, gross morning, I'm like, got it. I'm yours. Tell me what you want me to tell me. When the practical, mundane life becomes a spiritual, divine, powerful moment, do you think I felt seen by the Father? Do you think I felt his smile over my life? I mean, probably 15 minutes before, I was not feeling the smile of the Father over my life. I was just kind of standing with my fist in the air. But when the Lord breaks through, and when he does something other... When he says, hey, I just want to get your attention. I told my sister later, she goes, well, you just needed a good quiet time. And I was like, thank you. I love traffic jam quiet times, right? I would much rather have been on my couch drinking my coffee. But that day, the Spirit of God broke through and said, I need you to be obedient. I need you to knock off your rant and rave. I need you to ask for strength right now in this moment to live out the life that I've called you to. And today, the life looks like stuck in a traffic jam, going to be late to your appointment. It's going to be okay. Gateway, we have got to be those people. We have got to live lives that we align with the Father in obedience and truth. The world needs us to say it is hard. I want to be real authentic about that. If you want to ask me about hard stuff in my life, I will be real honest with you. Hard. I'm not going to sugarcoat it and I'm not going to smile and say, oh no, it's totally fine. It's such an easy breeze. I will not. I will say it's hard, but I will tell you God is good. And he is faithful. And he is trustworthy. And I'm going to align my life with him. And so today, as we close, I want you to hear the song that I heard in my car. And we have a PowerPoint from it. And then I think you should never teach on prayer and then not pray. And so I've asked Sharon Alexander, who's our children's minister, to come up and pray. And part of why I asked her to pray is... I've sat in leadership meetings with her. I've sat in retreats with her. I've sat in people's homes with her. And we've prayed together. And I have watched her. I'm a super visual person. And so I have watched her just gather up strength as we pray. I've watched her just gather up obedience with the Father. I have just been like, man, that's what that looks like in a, in a physical sense. That's what it looks like to wrestle and to gather the strength of God. I have watched her usher in salvation and freedom for the captives. And so I think it's important for her to pray over Gateway because if there was ever a time, our world needs us, our nation needs us, our church needs us to pray and align with God.
for obedience, for strength. The world needs to be to find and come face to face with the Savior who can right our wrongs and forgive our sins and give us hope. They need freedom.